I chopped the defender, sent him for a hot dog. Yeah. And uh, no, again, I think that day we went top of the league, actually. Yeah. That's just that, that group of players and the, the sort of the affinity we had with the fans that season, you know, all pulling in the right direction. Um, just brilliant. It's definitely the, the standout season of my career to date. Hello everybody, it's me Ross and welcome to another edition of Ross Meets. It's series free time and here we are with episode three. And before we get started, I just want to say a big thank you to all the listeners out there who've enjoyed the series, share the episodes, give me feedback. It's been a pleasure to bring you these during the weird times we're living in. We haven't got long to go now until pubs are open, barbers are open so I can get a haircut and a beard trim. Because um, if you've if you seen me on videos, I don't look good, do I? I'm looking like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Wilson! <laughs> but yeah, anyway, enough of that. Uh, let's get into the episode and introduce the guest today. It is a pleasure to be joined by former talent offender, Tommy Smith. And this was a fantastic chat. Really did enjoy chatting with Tommy. And a big thanks to him as well. He spoke to me while he was in a hotel in Morecambe, preparing for a game for Colchester. So thank you very much for him for his time. And well, we went through his whole career so far of course, now at Colchester. Um, but yeah, we spoke about his early memories um, in England before, of course, his family moved over to New Zealand. Um, he then, of course, came back to England to sign for town and spoke about his early days at the club. Um, I don't know if he spoke much about his early time at the club, and I was really interested to hear the early memories under Jim Majilton and also Roy Keane. And we spoke about many different things during that time. Of course, then speaking about his time under Paul Jewell and Mick McCarthy, uh, many different highlights during his career. Of course, some of the goals he scored, some of the games he played in. Uh, it was just great to chat to him. And I don't want to spoil it, so I'm going to stop chatting. We're going to get into the episode. Uh, of course, we spoke about his time at Colorado Rapids in, in Canada and also his brief spell at Sunderland before, of course, COVID hit. Um, and just talking to him about playing under, you know, behind closed door games and just all that sort of stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to stop rambling. Big thanks to Tommy once again. Let's get into the episode. Hope you enjoy it. Let's go. How's it going? Good, mate. Yeah. How, how's Morecambe? <laughs> uh, a long way away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it took us uh, about six hours, I think it was, from uh, leaving to rocking up at the hotel. So, yeah, yes, not uh, an easy one. No, I went to um, Leetwood last season and that was a... That's, that's a long way, but then I think I looked at the maps for Morecambe and it's further than Fleetwood and I thought... Jesus. Yeah, it's a bit further north, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Have you ever played yeah. here before? No, I haven't. I haven't, okay. so that'll be a new experience for me. Yeah, I'm sure there's a there's a few yeah. League Two clubs that you haven't been to before, most likely. I don't know if you... Yeah, there's been a few new ones already this season, so... Uh, no, it's, it all adds to the experience, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it's, you know of course, you're, you've been lucky to play in some you know massive stadiums, but it's also nice to play in these you know old-fashioned you know stadiums and stuff like that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like I say, it all adds to the experience. Some are obviously a bit nicer than others, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah. Cheers for doing this, mate. Uh, definitely, when you're currently in Morecambe, uh, I'm sure just you know some time away from in the hotel and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, no, it's no problem at all. Happy to do it, mate. I'm sure it's um, it's weird at the moment. You know, of course, with COVID and everything, I'm sure the hotel, everything is because I'm sure most of them are closed, aren't they? And I think you're probably the only ones actually in there. Yeah, I think that this hotel, we're, we're pretty much in our own wing, for one of a better expression, but I think they said there's a couple of key workers in here, but apart from that, it's dead. Yeah, dead as a dodo, so 
Uh, it is strange. The whole, but the whole season's been strange. <laughs> let's, let's have it right. It's just it just doesn't feel like uh, proper football. Like obviously no fans and at least everything's totally different. Yeah, it's like watching it on TV, and you know I've been lucky to go to a few town games at Porton Road, and it's just been. It's just you do miss the atmosphere, and you know, of course, you hear, you know, yourself as players. You know, you, I hear you more, and you know, some naughty words here and there and stuff like that. But you know, it's just part and parcel of football, of course. But um, it's just, yeah, it's weird. And the game, you, you're seeing all different results, all the results, well, definitely in the Premier League. You know, you're seeing massive results that you probably never would see, and when fans are in. Oh, hundred percent. I think there's there's certain players that thrive off the pressure of the fans there, and then there's other players that thrive off not having the pressure from the fans and. In the stadium, so you obviously you get a bit of a, a strange, strange results that you see. Like I think the one that stands out for me is Villa beating Liverpool seven yeah. two. I don't Man. think that would have happened if there was fans around. So, a bit of a strange one, but yeah, and there's been a few. haven't there, like Man United losing six one. You would never expect that to happen in a normal season. So uh, no, definitely, you definitely miss it. I mean, even when we were only allowed, uh, I think we had a thousand to a couple of games. And uh, even just having a thousand fans back made such a big difference yeah. to to yeah to everyone really because even well there's no fans it's, it's there's even less fans than a pre-season game because even pre-season games normally you have a few hundred and um, it just make even that makes a difference so it has been very strange but it doesn't feel the same without the fans no definitely not so um. We'll start off, as I always do, um, from the early beginnings. Uh, you know, you're, you're born in Macclesfield and then you went over to, to New Zealand. Um, how long were you in, you know, in England before moving over? Uh, I was in England from, obviously, when I was born until eight years old. And I just uh, got into the crew Alexander under nines at the time. Uh, and then my family sort of up sticks and, and moved over to New Zealand, emigrated out there because um, just for the change of lifestyle, I think it was a, uh, a chance for the family to just go and experience something completely new and obviously a different way of life over there. Um, but it was brilliant, you know, obviously uh, it, it's very different in terms of their, their sport and you know, rugby and cricket are the main two. Although more recently now, football has actually taken over in terms of being the number one kids sport in, in terms of participation. So hopefully there'll be more and more talented players coming through. I know there certainly is uh, in that young sort of age groups. They're, they're making it through to knockout stages of World Cups now. Uh, so the future's bright over there. That's good to hear. And, you know, when you were still in England, of course, did you? when did you find the love of football, you know, was there a family member that got you into it or did you just straight away just wanted to play football? Yeah, it's one of those, I think, ever since I can remember. I've just always had a ball at my feet or I've uh, been playing in the garden with a football. And my dad was a, was a massive help in that regard. He he was actually a, uh, a schoolboy on Leighton Orient's books back in the, the day. So um, he unfortunately never never went on to become professional himself. But... He had that love for football and uh, sort of instilled that into me. And uh, I just remember every day uh, he must have got so fed up with me asking him to go out into the garden and, and play football. But obviously it stood me in good stead for, for the future and uh, obviously forever be indebted to him. And then not just him, my mum as well just supported me the, the whole way through in, in terms of ferrying me to and from football, which would be sort of most nights of the week once I got to a certain age over in New Zealand I was I was playing for different teams and just trying to play football as much as I possibly could 
Um, and yeah, I mean, I owe, I owe it all to them really to, to get to where I am today. Definitely. And what's your what's your memories of you know growing up in New Zealand? You know, did you when you went straight away over there? Did you say to you know your parents you know find me a team? Less or you know did you, did they know anybody else there in New Zealand at the time, or did that was it just an unknown for them? They just wanted that experience. Yeah, it was a complete unknown. Um, we actually uh, we ended up living somewhere that they hadn't planned on. We'd, we'd been on holiday there the year before we emigrated, and they sort of decided on a place to live, and then at the last minute they changed their minds, and uh, we ended up down in a place called Papamoa, which is, is sort of a, a surf-type area. We know there's lots of nice beaches, um, and football wasn't wasn't massive there. We obviously had your local teams, and uh, I just joined the local team and it was one of those where you could just tell that I stood out I think my first season there I scored 91 goals or something crazy from from midfield I used to be a midfielder and I was a midfielder until I hit my growth spurt and then I got put put at the back so uh, but no I mean different way of life totally I remember going to school and you'd go to school the other kids were barefoot like mm. and just completely not not through the fact they didn't have shoes to wear, it was just culturally, most people would just walk around barefoot. Um, I think it's probably changed a lot now. This was sort of 22 years ago, so I think it's come on now. But that was a an eye-opener in itself. And like my, I remember my uh, my poor Nana, who's, who's not with us anymore, but she said, uh, when I came home from school with no shoes on, she asked my mum if we were poor now, um, just because I didn't have any shoes on. But yeah, stuff like that. And I mean... Obviously, you learn the, the way of life over there. You learn about Maori history. So you sort of become a more rounded person in terms of the history of the world and how, how it all came about to to be settlers in New Zealand and everything like that. So it's certainly uh, an enjoyable part of my life was that time in New Zealand. And I sort of spent the majority of my school life there. So uh, it will always hold a, a special place in my heart for sure. Definitely. Do you have any early memories of, you know, your time in England, you know, because you said you went over there when you're eight. So is there, you know, of course, you're at crew, as you said. So is yeah. there much early memories you can remember? Of course, you know, you know, when we get older, we, you know, we forget about different things, but I'm sure there's a... a yeah, yeah, no, I can remember, I can remember playing for crew. Uh, I think there's, there's three other players that were in my age group, no, f- uh, four other players in my age group that have gone on to be professional footballers. You've got... Ben Amos, who's at mm. Charlton, I think, uh, the goalkeeper. There's Luke Murphy, who's had a good career. I think he's actually gone back to crew now. Uh, AJ Leach-Smith and Junior Brown. So it's, it's not a bad age group in terms of players that actually went on to become professional footballers. Uh, so I remember it was, that was an enjoyable time. I think I was only there for around six months before, before we left. But no, it was brilliant just to get that taste of a professional football environment and obviously left left that taste in my mouth and I wanted more and it gave me that impetus to, even at that young age, to to want to work hard and make sure I got back to somewhere like that one day. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, you know, you're, you're playing in New Zealand and then I think you, of course, at that time, you know, a lot of players are lucky they can go on tours and stuff like that. I think you went to a tour, didn't you? I think it was it Canada or somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, went. Yeah, we went. That was, uh, so secondary school football was... Yeah. A lot bigger over in New Zealand than it is over here in the UK, and um, yeah, we went on an international tour, which was was another brilliant experience to, to go and play against uh, Canada, and then we went to Australia as well on the way back and, and played against Australian schoolboys. So 
yeah, all, all fantastic experiences and, like I say, ones that I, I will always look back on fondly. Definitely. And, of course, you then, as a 14-year-old, came on trial at town. You know, did you have any other trial? You know, because that's a long way to go. Yeah, <laughs> to go on yeah. Trial, but was there any other clubs even, you know, I know... Uh, yeah. No, to be honest, that, yeah. that one, they, they said come over for six weeks holiday. So it was our summer holidays in New Zealand, which are at the end of the year, the school years flips around there. You sort of go from February to December. Um, so I came over for a six-week trial, um, obviously had a little Christmas break. Um, but I think it was during that a part of that six weeks, so they, they sat down and offered me a scholarship there and then and said they wanted to sign me, which was brilliant, you know. Um, I was obviously if it didn't work out there I'd had contacts through my coaches in New Zealand that had been in English football previously and they were going to try and line me up for trials elsewhere but with Nottingham Forest and Manchester City were mentioned but as soon as I got to Ipswich and the the way they looked after me obviously I came over on my own as a 14 year old and uh, just the way they looked after me from that, that first day walking in Sally Williams who's still there now um, completely took me under her wing and Helen Broughton at the time made sure I felt 100% at home and that stuck with me you know just how much they cared about me even though I wasn't their player yet um, and that was fundamentally why I came to the decision to not explore the other options because I just felt so comfortable at Ipswich Definitely yeah because was Brian Brian Kluge was there at the time as well you know he must have been your, your coach then or was he moved on yeah. more to the first team? Uh, he No he was there it was uh, the the season I saw, I started full time was when he moved into the first team role under Jim Nagilton. So, yeah, he was in charge then, and other coaches at the time. Um, who did we have? We had Paul Goddard mm-hmm. was a coach at the time. Um, trying to think, who else? Steve McCall. So Steve McCall. Yeah, he was at the club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then obviously moving through the age groups, Tony Humes, Richard Hall, who are now both at Colchester. Yeah. Here. yeah. Uh, Steve Greaves was one of my under-18s coaches as well, so a lot of very good coaches, and uh, yeah, lucky to have worked under them. Definitely, you know which which you know players in the academy, and even you know there's players around the first team, you know who are you close with, and who who made you settle um, in your early stages at the club. Uh, Jordan Rhodes was a, was a big mm-hmm. one for me because um, he was in a similar situation in terms of he'd had to move, he'd moved down from Barnsley not long before I started going over on trial, so. He was in a bit of a similar boat in terms of not really knowing people. And to be fair, though, all the lads uh, had really helped uh, help me settle in. Curly Williams, who was captain of the age group teams at the time and who I still stay in contact with now, uh, was a big help. And a lot of the other lads that I keep in contact with as well. So it was a close-knit group and they, they welcomed me with open arms, to be honest. And again, it just helped to, to solidify my, my choice in, in choosing to sign for Ipswich because I just felt so comfortable. Definitely. As you mentioned, you, know, you still speak to a few players who, who may not have gone on to, to play first-team football, but I was speaking to a few other players I've done on this podcast about, like, social media, of course, has its good and bad things about it, but the good thing is, definitely say Instagram, you, I've, you know, I always put out, you know, sometimes the squad photos of the youth team and the first team, and, you know, I tag in different players, and I'm sure that it's a good way for people, the players who may have lost contacts and stuff, now able to, to chat to former teammates again. Yeah, 100%. Like you say, social media has its pros and cons, but that is definitely a positive that comes from it. And um, I'm on more recently, I remember uh, catching up with Chris Casement over yeah. social media because because for that reason, I follow, I think I uh, 
there was a picture of us in international kits that we were all tagged in. And I thought, oh, I'll give him a message. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's very nice to, to sort of be able to keep in contact with people that you've lost touch with over the years. Definitely. And then we'll go into, you know, you, of course, were young player of the year. Um, I don't know what season that was. Was that your second season or? I think it was my second year, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Dale Roberts Award, yeah, the Academy Player of the Year. So that, yeah, again, great honour. And it was that, that second year where I, I started training more and more with the first team that really sort of it's, it's sunk in that I, I could have a, a future in, in the game. And uh, alongside training with uh, Ed Upson, I remember Jay Rees and Kurt Robinson, all in my age, we, we all regularly got the call up to go and train with the first team. And it was brilliant to learn from the senior players that were there at the time. You know, in my position, I had... Jason DeVos and Richard Naylor to look up to, who obviously were two outstanding professionals. Uh, and I, again, it just helped me to learn learn my trade and, and work my way forward into to becoming a first-team player. Definitely. And then, of course, you then went on to sign that pro deal. I'm sure everybody who's a scholar, that is your aim, is to get that pro deal. And, of course, you know, Jim Agilton was the manager at the time and he, he gave you that pro deal. Um, what was your relationship with, with Jim like and, you know, what did he sort of say? Can you remember what he said when he gave you that pro deal, his plans for you? Of course, you're still a young kid, but a chance for you, hopefully, to get into the first team at some point. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'd already agreed the professional deal as I signed my scholarship. So oh, yeah, I'd signed initially a two-year scholarship, two-year professional deal. Um, so that was sort of between Brian Klug and Joe Royal, who was manager at the time. But obviously, forever in debt to, to Jim for, for giving my debut. Um, I remember it was that first year as a professional uh, when, the, when was it I went out at the end of my second year scholar I went out on loan to uh, Stevenage um, and that really showed me uh, sort of the way to play men's football because obviously you, you play your academy football and your reserve team football but it doesn't really prepare you for that competitive edge of first team football um, and I played 15 games down there I remember 10 games I played with a bandage around my head because I was getting bashed around as a 17-year-old kid, but it, it sort of made, helped me toughen up mentally and physically to the rigours of the professional game. And um, following on from that, I came back pre-season and got myself as fit as I possibly could to give myself the best chance and uh, went away with the first team. And I remember playing regularly in the, the first team fixtures throughout pre-season and then uh, sort of had that thought in my head, I think I'm going to play here. And on, on the Friday before the first game of the season, Jim called me into his office and he, he, it was a pretty simple conversation where he sat down and said, uh, do you think you're ready to play? And I just said, yes. Um, and then he said, well, you're playing tomorrow, so get yourself ready, get yourself home, go and tell your family. Um, and that was it, you know. That And again, the feeling, I couldn't really tell you um, how I got home or anything. I was just in a bit of a daze, obviously, knowing that I was going to make my first team debut and... Um, yeah, brilliant. Obviously, a very proud moment for, for myself, for my family to to put myself in that position after all the years of, of hard work and dedication of getting yourself to that point. Um, just an immense feeling of pride, immediately followed by nerves. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, of course, because, you know, there was 22 fouls. I just got attendance up. Unfortunately, it was a 2-1 a defeat, but playing in the championship in front of 22,000 people uh, at Portman Road, uh, just, and, you know, playing alongside a lot of, you know, senior players, you know, Richard Wright in goal and Gareth McCauley, you know, centre-half. You know, yeah. He was very much early into his time at town, but... Um, any any memories of the game? I know it's a, a long, you know, it's over ten years ago now. But anything that sticks out? Um, not really any individual moments. I just remember the the walking out to the music. That obviously I'd spent two full time years there, yeah. uh, sitting in the stands watching the first team walk out to the music, and then when you're a part of it, and it's just an amazing feeling, and one that you can't really explain. And then. To be fair, as soon as you cross the white line, all the nerves disperse and you're in sort of business mode. And you're, if you're, as a footballer, that is your comfort zone, being on the football pitch. Um, and, you know, it was brilliant, a brilliant experience. And uh, unfortunately, we lost the game, obviously. But, um, yeah, fantastic. And, and obviously helped along by those senior players in the team. Um, again, learning from them as much as I possibly could. Uh, Richard Naylor was really good to me because I actually I was in the team ahead of him but I remember him being the ultimate prize he's always been and, and just wishing me the best of luck and telling me just to play my natural game that I was in there on merit and you know that helped me no end and uh, yeah brilliant experience Definitely. of course you know you only played once on the gym and you know I think you played a few you know, un, un, you know unused sub for a while and then playing the reserve and of course then you got injured in training but you know before you got injured did you because you, you're starting this game um did he just sort of say you know he's just gonna eventually bring you in I know this is a long time ago again but um did he just feel like give that opportunity to you and then maybe look at the long term at you know gradually bringing you into the first team more often no, I remember it vividly, to be fair, because obviously I felt like I was in there and did myself no harm in terms of my individual performance. But I remember the Tuesday night was a cup game following it and the team played... They like, made a few changes for the cup game and the team played really well and won. So, obviously, as a manager, he's stuck with that team, which I, I can't complain about. You know, the senior players that came in played really well. I was just still a kid, really, at the time, so... Um, a little bit disappointed, but completely understood where he was coming from. And again, I was still just learning my trade, really. Um, again, watching those senior players that were in ahead of me and trying to learn from it. But unfortunately, picking up that bad injury, which kept me out for quite a long period of time. And then obviously, when I came back, Roy Keane had been instated as manager. Um, and I think that season, actually, the only two first team games I played was the first game of the season and the last game of the season. So... A uh, bit of a strange season with its ups and downs, but, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant learning experiences. You know, what was your? I've spoken to a few players who played under you know Magilton and Roy, you know King's era. What was your reaction when you know Jim got sacked and Roy came in? I think a lot of people found out pretty much on Sky Sports because I think that was because it's such a big story. Roy Keane, because of it, you know his his career at May United and everything, just his career as a whole, is just a much a, a massive appointment for town. Um, so can you remember when you found out? Yeah, I, I remember it. I was actually in the car park of Coe's, the, uh, the clothing store, uh, when we all had the text saying, announcing the new manager. Um, obviously, you look at his playing career, you think, oh, brilliant, you know, First, actually, I'll go back. First and foremost, I, I think it was wrong of the club to get rid of Jim Majewan at the time. I thought uh, we only just were missing out on the playoffs and 
he was still finding his feet as a manager, really, but doing a really good job, I thought. Um, obviously, I might be a little bit biased there in terms of he gave him a debut and I knew that he rated me. But uh, obviously, when you when that happens and then you get a, a manager of Roy Keane's ilk, it was, uh, yeah, brilliant. And he looked forward to working under him. Um, and again, you just thought that with the experience that he has throughout his playing career, um, the job he'd done at Sunderland, the beginning was, was just filled with nothing but positive thoughts, really, of what he could do to help the club. Definitely, and of course, you know that was the final game of the season. Was his second game in charge. His first at Portland Road. He got the win at Cardiff, and then he gave you, you know, your second, you know, start, your second appearance for the club. A two-one win against Coventry. I've got the attendance up here as well. Twenty-seven thousand were in there, most likely because fans and people just wanted to see Roy Keane on the touchline, of course. But what's your memory of that game? And you know, did Roy just sort of say to you, he want because he, of course, played a lot of the kids um, during yeah. his time at the club, so. The, in training what was he like um, I remember the build up to it I'd only just come back from my ankle injury and I was playing reserve games and I remember I was due to play my first 90 minutes in the reserves and then I got pulled off after an hour and I, I got off and I spoke to the physio I was like what, what happened there why, why have you brought me off I feel fine and he said um, he said I think you're playing at the weekend like, without saying it but um, I was like oh right I obviously didn't think too much of it um, and then it came to the weekend and I thought I'd be in the squad and not really I didn't imagine myself to be starting the game and then it announced the team on the day and I was playing left back so um, yeah I wasn't really hadn't prepared myself in terms of playing at a left back because I, even the reserve games I played I was centre half but um I think at the time Matt Richards was coming up to his deal was expiring and he was the only recognised left back at the club at the time I think so I think he just wanted to see how I would fare there and to be honest I played quite a few games under Roy Keane at left back I knew he'd liked uh, a big back four and uh, yeah it was a great experience to, especially to get the first win under your belt for Ipswich Town as well um, and obviously being the last game of the season I remember the night um, we all went out as a team and it was a good night everyone felt optimistic for the future and well, that was yeah brilliant evening cool. I just want to pretty um, go back to you know your parents because they, they were, were they still living in New Zealand at the time they, of course they didn't come come with you of course um, no they did they came they, okay. they came back initially yeah okay. they uh, from halfway through my first year scholar they, they came back to live in, in Ipswich okay. and I moved back in with them I was in digs for six months yeah. uh, but then moved back into them to their place and uh, up until the, when I moved out at the age of it was about 22, 23 and then they sort of said right well, you, you've set yourself up now you don't really need us we're going to go and retire back to New Zealand um, so I mean yeah brilliant brilliant for, for all they did for me over the years and um, it, is, it is brilliant for them that they could just go back and they can enjoy life now I know my dad misses coming to the games um, but he gets up at four o'clock in the morning over there and watches my games on nice. iFollow at the moment. Yeah. So he still loves it just as much as he used to. Definitely. And then, you know, the following season, Roy's first season, he gave you an opportunity to play a handful of games. You went out on loan to Brentford, of course, as well. And then you returned. You know, there's a few games that stick out from that season. Um, of course, at the time, Newcastle were in that league. There's the two games I'm going to talk about. Unfortunately, you know, a 4-0 defeat at home and the other one was 2-2 draw. But I was looking at their team, you know, Andy Carroll was playing up front. You know, Kevin yeah. Nolan, Nicky Butt, you know, some Jose Enrique, 
some you know top players, so that must have been good yeah. for you. I think um, Alan Smith was playing for Newcastle as well. Um, yeah. So some yeah. massive players for you to play against early doors. Yeah, I remember. I remember the home game was uh, the Sir Bobby Robson testimonial game yeah. or memorial game, and I actually came on as sub in the first half in that game for Alex Bruce, if I remember correctly. Um, and obviously, not losing the game wasn't ideal, but. The, the away game was fantastic, you know, uh, in terms of an experience. I think they'd already won the league or they'd already been promoted. So the fans were very much in party atmosphere. Uh, and of, of sort of our remit was to go up there and try and spoil their party. And uh, we gave it a good go. Obviously, they, they had a fantastic team. And uh, to, to play in front of a packed St. James's Park in, in my first full season in, in first team football was, was a brilliant way to end it. And. Uh, it got followed on actually that, that at the end of that season it was the World Cup so um, a brilliant sort of few months for me around that time definitely I was going to go on to that next but I was going to quickly just talk about your you know youth level for England you know you're capped under 17 and under 18 levels of course you played at the the World Cup in South Korea, uh, the um, 2007 under under 17s World Cup. Um, you know what was that? What was that like experience playing in South Korea and which players were in your your age group back then? Yeah, it was obviously a, a fantastic experience and um, had some really good players in our team. We had uh, Danny Welbeck, Victor Moses, Danny Rose. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head now. We had good goalies, Alex Smithies, Jason Steele and Wes Fodringham. They all went on to have really good first-team careers. Uh, Jordan Spence was the captain of that team, okay. actually. So obviously went on to yeah. be teammates with him at yeah. Ipswich. Uh, Dan Goslin, who's had a good Premier League career, so it was a team full of full of talented players. And again, to, to go to a country like South Korea and, and experience everything that came with that uh, was fantastic. And uh, yeah, brilliant, and one that I'll never forget. We actually came up against New Zealand in our group as well. I didn't yeah. play in the game, but uh, so I was up, sat there watching all my old friends play against all these these players for England. So again, great experience. Definitely, and then, of course, you went on to to change to go and play for New Zealand. Uh, did you feel that was just your best route into international football? Um, you know, no offense to you, you probably didn't think you would have a chance of playing senior football for England. I don't know, you're still young at that age, so it's always yeah. Up it was but... it was one of those I'd sort of fallen out of the England picture after yeah. picking up my bad ankle injury, yeah. um, and to be honest, I had no idea that I would be eligible for New Zealand until a call came out of the blue. Really, I remember. Uh, I played against Plymouth and Rory Fallon was playing for Plymouth. Oh, yeah. Um, and he sort of dropped the hint saying, I think I think you might be eligible for New Zealand. And I said, oh, really? Like, I've got no idea. And then I think the following week, the, the New Zealand manager phoned me up and asked if I'd be interested in changing allegiance to New Zealand. And uh, I didn't really hesitate, to be honest, because, I'd, like I said, I'd fallen out of the picture with England and the affinity I have with New Zealand in terms of spending most of my education life there and uh, learning all about their culture and it had a big big place in my heart you know I consider myself both Kiwi and English so uh, it was a really easy decision to be honest and uh, obviously one that, that paid dividends in the fact that I could play at the, the World Cup which was a fantastic experience that's just indescribable the, the feeling of playing at the World Cup uh, it wasn't until many years later. Like I think it was the next World Cup where we didn't qualify was where it really sunk in that wow, I played in the last one. 
Uh, I was just a 20-year-old, still a young, young player, really, and didn't really sink in until that point. So brilliant, brilliant experience. Definitely. And, you know, of course, I want to talk more about the World Cup, you know, in South Africa. You know, there was a, a fantastic World Cup as well. But I want to quickly go on to your, your first cap. I hope you've got this right. You know, it was against Mexico in the USA. I think 90,000 yeah. people, I think, I've got their attendance yeah. at the Rose yeah, Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, what an experience that is. Yeah, and that was that was crazy. You know, you couldn't hear yourself think for how how noisy the the Mexican fans were, um, and it was yeah, it's, it's sort of a baptism baptism of fire to international football. Uh, played against some fantastic players. Blanco played, obviously a Mexican legend. Gio dos Santos, uh, Javier Hernandez before he was very well known. I think it was just. I think it was that summer he might have moved to Manchester United. Um, so before he was well known, I remember he scored a goal, and uh, I've never seen someone jump so high for a header. <laughs> and I was thinking, who is this guy? And then he turns up at Man United. I was like, all right, that makes sense. Um, fantastic, fantastic to to make your international debut against a team with players like that again. Just all you can do is learn from those experiences and obviously playing in front of 90,000 fans. I've been fortunate enough to, to do that on a couple of occasions and um, it's those sorts of times and experiences that stick with you forever. Definitely. And of course, you know, in the World Cup, a, a historic three points, um, a draw against Slovakia, a draw against Italy. Italy, you know, <laughs> they won the World yeah. Cup in 2006. I know they're, a lot of their... Players were getting a bit older and stuff, and then of course the draw against Paraguay. Uh, of course, in the Italy game, unfortunately, you you can see the penalty. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, he dived. He dived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, yeah. what what's that experience like playing in South Africa as well? Because that was a, a massive thing for you know the World Cup to be there. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Obviously, it's well known for the the Vuvuzelas that were the yeah. sort of the soundtrack of the World <laughs> Cup. Um, and, in, and in many ways, that, that's the standout, really, obviously, being part of history. I think, it, uh, if I'm correct, was it the first World Cup in Africa? I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, so I was, think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the continent. So to be part of, of history as well was brilliant. And I think we actually ended up, because Spain lost their opening group fixture, we were actually the only un, unbeaten team in that World Cup. So there's a pointless answer for you if you're uh, <laughs> <Definitely>. struggling. <laughs> You always need them. That's a nice pub quiz as well. Um, yeah. But then, you know, I'm going to continue with New Zealand because you then became, of course, the youngest captain in all whites history. I'm sure you've been asked this question a lot, a lot of times, but, you know, that must have been a great honour for you to, to lead out the team and be that that young. Yeah, it's fantastic. And obviously it's, it's a privilege that I didn't take for granted. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just showed the faith that Ricky Herbert had in me at the time, who was the head coach at the time. And, uh Again, it's just one of those moments that will stick with me forever when he told me that I'd be captain. and um, It was brilliant, really. Uh, there's no other words for it. Obviously, to lead your, your country out is sort of the pinnacle, really. Uh, I've been lucky enough to, to captain most of the clubs that I've played for, but to, to represent your country and, and lead your country out is, is a, a special feeling, for sure. Of course, you know, you played at the World Cup for New Zealand and also played at the Olympics as well. So, and of course, that was in, in London. So, another experience to, to add to your to your life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And obviously, with, with that being held in the, in the country of my birth, yeah. made that extra special for me as well. So, um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant time. And 
Uh, we came up against some fantastic players in that Olympics as well. I know uh, we played against Egypt. Mo Salah was playing for them. Um, we had Brazil in our group as well. So Neymar, uh, I think Marcelo was playing. I don't know if Thiago Silva was in the squad. I don't think he played in that game. Um, but again, some fantastic players that you just, it's a privilege to come up against and, and test yourselves against. And uh, again, another another unforgettable experience. And I've used that so many times in this already, but I really have been fortunate to, to have so many in my career so far. Definitely are. Before we before we continue, I just want to ask, you know, are you a player that would collect shirts? Have you got a few that are very, very impressive? I've got a, I've got a couple, you know, I've, I changed shirts for the three World Cup games and the three Olympic games. And um, probably the, the standout one would be Fabio Cannavaro. Oh, yeah. Um, that was, uh, yeah, that's got a special place in, in my game room. Um, yeah. And I've got... Uh, one of the an African player of the year, Mohamed Abu Trika. I got his from Egypt. Alexandra Pato from Brazil. Um, I'm trying to think who else I've got. Um, I, who do play? Yeah, I'm struggling to think of the That's other. Okay. I've got a few. I've got a few in the collection, but um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant mementos, and just hopefully now I've got a little boy who, obviously, in the future, I can show him and sit down and explain how his daddy got to, to play against these amazing players of football history. Definitely. And from the highs of the World Cup to your first senior goal in the, the 3-1 win against Borough, that must have been a, a great feeling and you know a good start for Roy in the opening game of that campaign. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that like it was yesterday. I completely miskicked it, um, <laughs> but somehow squirmed its way into the corner. So, um, but obviously delighted. And that was a feeling I've never experienced before. And, I mean, every time you score a goal, it's just a magical feeling. And um, for that to be my first in senior football was, was excellent. And it set us on the, the path to a good win as well. So, yeah, brilliant moment. And, uh, yeah, again, another one that I'll never forget. Definitely. And, of course, you went on to score, uh, you know, two further goals that campaign, Leeds, then Burt Barnsley. Unfortunately, the Barnsley game was defeat. And then, uh, again, that sticks out from that season. Uh, of course, you went and signed for Colchester on loan as well. Of course, now you're back at Colchester. Um, but the one game that sticks out all the time you always want to talk about is the Leicester snow game, which was just yeah. madness. Yeah. Um, of course, Leicester were not happy the game were being played, but we were happy we were 3-0 up. And, uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. I remember they were doing all they could to, to get up. I think we went, we went 3-0 up early, early yeah. doors as well. So obviously... The, the ref sort of whichever decision he made the other team was going to be really unhappy and I think if it wasn't for being on Sky I think the game yeah. would have been pulled before a ball had been kicked but obviously once once we'd gone 3-0 up it was sort of a, a tough decision for the referee to have to make I think he had a bit of pressure from Sky to keep it on um, he had a lot of pressure from Roy to keep it on I know that, <laughs> that much yeah. um, so again one of those games which you think wow I <laughs> It shouldn't have gone ahead. Let's have it right. But um, again, brilliant. I saw the uh, the on this day pictures flash up the other week, and again, it just brings back those memories. That's one of the few games uh, where I've worn a long sleeve shirt. I think in the second half, so uh, couldn't feel my fingers. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Another brilliant experience and uh, a good win. One of the few games we won on Sky. Yes. And even that record carried over um, until I think we beat Wigan this season, you know, and that was the first time in like 16 attempts or something crazy like that. So, yeah, yeah, Sky Curse is what we call it. Yeah. Um, Of course, you know, 
Paul Jewell um, came in after Roy got sacked. Um, I just want to mention before you know before Paul Jewell comes in. Of course, you're on the bench for the the seven nil defeat against Chelsea, and of course in the Arsenal games as well. Um, as as a defender, probably watching your teammates seeing seven goals go past them, I'm sure you're like thinking, I'm definitely not going to come on here. You know, a chance to play at Stamford Bridge, but like, yeah, I'm not coming on. Yeah, I mean, I remember that day vividly as well. Yeah. You know, you could just see that they they were just a class above all over the pitch. Um, and it got compounded by the fact that the bus broke down on the way home. <laughs> so it's just what you need after you've just yeah. been trounced 7-0 away at Stamford Bridge. But uh, again, you just you use those experiences in terms of I've been on the bench uh, and learning from players of that ilk, watching John Terry and Ivanovic, players like this that have obviously done it at the top level for, for so many years. And you just try and pick up things and learn from them. Um, and it's brilliant obviously I would have loved to have played in the games but you still you just got to take as much as you can from those experiences and, and try and help to improve yourself as a player yeah and of course you know it's been 10 years ago now since that win against Arsenal you know as I said you're on the bench for both of those games um, what's your what's your memories of that you know seeing Tamas go through it and scoring and you know once again Fabregas yeah. and the likes were there playing against us Oh, brilliant. I remember I was warming up when yeah. Tamas scored. I think you can see in the video, yeah. I'm the first one that gets to him in the celebration. Yeah. So, um, yeah, buzzing, buzzing. That was a brilliant moment. Obviously, we couldn't quite see it through. Went to the Emirates and got beat 3 0, I think it was. But uh, again, just to, to go on that cup run anyway, you know, yeah. I played a lot of those cup games mm. on, on the run. Uh, to be honest, I think I hadn't missed many games that season until the change of manager. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I, I didn't play again really under Paul Jewell I don't know he just didn't see eye to eye for whatever reason he didn't fancy me as a player uh, which happens in football and you know I, I, I came close to leaving the club on a couple of occasions okay. and then as as happens in football one thing happens and like a decision gets made or someone picks up an injury and suddenly you're thrust back in and everything changes so um, yeah I mean football's, football's mad and uh, these things happen yeah, I can sort of say now, you know, Paul Jewell's bit is covered and uh, we'll get into, you know, his first full season. Uh, of course, you had that spell at Colchester on loan. Uh, at that point, did you just want to get some game time? You just knew he wasn't going to play you? Yeah, pretty much. You know, he, he had the conversation with me. He told me I wasn't going to play. So I said I wanted to go out and get some football. And uh, that's the way it was, really. And, and then we came back for the following season again. Like it. it it was almost like he would use me as the, the full guy for, for any change in the back line. And, you know, I didn't I didn't take too kindly to that. I'm not one for throwing my toys out of the pram, but um, I was disappointing to say the least. And, you know, it's just one of those where we didn't click as, as people. And um, I've got, I hold no grudges against him, you know, and if I saw him, I'd, I'd still be civil and have a conversation with him because it's all water under the bridge now. But uh, yeah, at that, that moment in time, he didn't fancy me as a player and, and that's that really. Of course, you know, you, you stayed longer than him. So there we go. Um, you know, in his first full season, I'm sorry to bring this up. Of course, the red card at Peterborough, 7-1 defeat. Um, you came on for 60 seconds? 67, 67 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, I was there that day. It was not a great day. Um, I'm sure no. it wasn't good for you either. <laughs> no, of course. And, you know, we were 4-1 down, already down to 10 men yeah. at half time, And then I get the call to come on. So I'm obviously thinking, right, it's an opportunity here <laughs> uh, for me. And I still think it was a it was a, it was a bad decision by a referee. You know, it was just a, a coming together for, for both parties. And 
he actually gave a penalty when it was outside the box as well to compound the misery. But um, even to be fair to Paul Jewell, he came in and obviously usually get a club fine. If you get a red card, you usually get a club fine. And he actually uh, came over to me and said, Tommy, I don't think it was a red card, so I'm not going to fine you. And you know, that was quite good of him considering we on a lot of things we didn't see eye to eye on. But uh, yeah, obviously it's, it's one of those moments where I could have sat and dwelled on it and let it affect me in a negative way, but I had to just sort of pat myself down, get up and get on with it. You know, these these things happen. People get sent off. Um, it, it wasn't quite as bad as... I just got a reminder on TalkSport the other day, Jonathan Woodgate's debut for Real Madrid oh, came yeah. up. Wow. Uh, so there's always someone that's worse off than you <laughs> in terms of what they've been through. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely made me stronger mentally in terms of having to deal with a setback like that. Because um, I was still a young player and, you know, I had people around me that helped me to get through that as well. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough throughout my career to be surrounded by people that give me great support. You know, my wife now, um, she's been with me all, all through thick and thin and my parents, obviously, uh, as well, and some close friends that I can rely on uh, through thick and thin. So I've been really fortunate in that regard as well. Did you just want to keep Lee Martin company? Because, you know, he, of course, got sent off. <laughs> yeah. So I remember he was sat in the changing room and I've come back in and he just looked at me and he just went, no. So obviously he sort of knew, knew what had happened, but without knowing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah horrible day, horrible day for the club. Um, and one that it's, it's never nice to get brought up, but, again, it's all all happens in the past and it all rounds you and shapes you as a person and, and a player. Yeah, it just makes it worse because it was 7-1. I think if, if we lost maybe like 2-0, it would be like, it's not great getting sent off, but oh, at least we didn't get hammered because, you know, they went on yeah, the score. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, got, I was sort of the scapegoat, but we were already 4-1 <laughs> and then ten down to 10 men at the time. Yeah. So I got the blame for it and I was only on for 67 seconds. But <laughs> no, that's football. That's football. Of course, you know, you didn't play again until until the new year. Um, I don't know if you had any injuries or did Paul just pr- pretty much go, sorry, mate, you're not, you're, not, you're not playing for me and until you got the opportunity to come back into the team. Yeah, that was it. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I had injuries. Um, no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have yeah. at that time. No, I had a couple of injuries under Roy. But, um, yeah, no, no injuries there. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, we just he just didn't fancy me as a player and I just had to keep my head down and... I keep training and, and trying to improve myself and uh, wait for another opportunity. And unfortunately, so that was that was sort of the time, that period where I thought I might have to, to move on because I just wasn't getting the, the opportunity to play first-team football and develop the way I wanted to. Um, but then, like I say, football's a funny game and I got thrown back in um, and earned myself a new contract because my contract was up in that, that year, I, I believe. Um and Paul actually gave me a new contract, so obviously that's how things, how quickly things can change in football. Definitely, you know, you scored on your return. You scored three more goals. So that must have been good for you to, to to score more. And then, you know, that season, you know, not a great finish. And then going into the next season, you know, Luke Chambers comes in. Um, of course, at the time, probably a lot of fans didn't think he would become, you know, the future captain. Although some fans have said, even in his early games, they felt like, yeah, he's going to be our captain. But um, of course, you had a, a good relationship with him and. You know, you scored, I think, in his debut game against Bristol Rovers. Um, so, you know, straight away, did you feel Luke was going to be a, a future captain here? Uh, yeah, he, he just came in with that. He's, he is that personality and that sort yeah. of character that, that you know 
um, is a leader. And you don't necessarily have to be captain to, to be a leader, but yeah, you could see he had certain characteristics that you would put as a captain of a football club. And uh, I'm still good friends with Luke to this day. And yeah, I mean, what a servant he's been for the club, you know, the, the amount he puts himself through physically and um you know he's played in some games which he really shouldn't be playing with with the condition in terms of injuries he's been carrying he's played with broken ribs and just put his put his body on the line for the cause um when when things have been sort of tough for him and the club and he's never shirked responsibility and that's credit to him and the character that he is so now he's been he's been a brilliant servant for the club and Again, another player at the time that was good for me in terms of he was more experienced than I was uh, and sort of helped helped me integrate back into the first team because I hadn't played a lot um, in the months leading up to that, that season, really. And uh, no, he, he was great and he, he's still obviously giving his all for the club now. Definitely. And, you know, at the start of that season, there's, there's two games I hate to bring up, but, um, you know, the, the 6 0 defeat at Blackpool and then the the trip to Carlisle, uh, extra time, losing against them in the, the of course the second round of the the cup. Uh, what's your bad memories of, of those two games? Well, we actually uh, we stayed up, so obviously both games were away, yeah. and I remember we so we stayed up from the Friday to the Tuesday, and obviously losing six. And I think in that game they had seven shots and scored six goals. <laughs> So it was one of those that wasn't really a six nil game, but they, anything, everything they hit just went in. Um, obviously, always a bad feeling to, to have a heavy defeat. Um, but obviously, thinking we could immediately bounce back at Carlisle, and I think we conceded quite late for them their equaliser in normal time. Um, and again, obviously, I was thinking we didn't get home till six a.m. and everyone was down in the dumps, and yeah, horrible, horrible two games to to play. But again, that sort of defines you as as a character and as a player how you bounce back from moments like that. Definitely. I'm sorry to bring this up. I went on this podcast. I bring up some terrible games for some players, and you're like thinking, "Cheers for reminding me." Yeah, I try to forget about that. But I'm still waiting for you to bring up some good ones. Though I hope you got them to come as well. Yeah, definitely. Of course, of course. <laughs> we'll get to that. Unfortunately, you've got to start from you know from the bottom to until we get to the thing. And of course, you know, Paul Jewell got the sack, and uh, Mick McCarthy comes in. Uh, I'm sure you were somewhat relieved that Paul is going to be. Of course. You know, you don't like seeing someone lose their job, but you know, he wasn't doing very well, and you know, I think we just needed change at the time. And of course, Mick McCarthy comes in, you know, man who's got a lot of experience. And uh, yeah, can you remember when that was announced? Yeah, and I remember the first conversation I had with him, and he was he was really complimentary towards me, and he said, oh, "Listen, I've I've seen a lot of you. I like you as a player." You are part of my plans, and uh, you know he just gave me confidence from from the minute he walked in through the door. And as a player, that's half the battle. You know that's what you want. You want to know that you have the backing from your manager, which is what I didn't have with Paul Jewell. Um, and yeah, obviously, I went on from strength to strength under Mick. Um, enjoyed by far the the most successful period of my Ipswich Town career under him. Definitely. And again, another manager that I will be forever indebted to for, for giving me that opportunity to, to be a regular in the team and and sort of get all those games under my belt and the experiences obviously culminating in the the playoffs which was the, the best season we've had in a long time and 
Yeah, it was uh, fantastic for him, and obviously with him being a fantastic centre half in his playing days, he was he was very good for me as a defender myself, and, and in part in his wisdom, and uh, he worked with us defenders on a daily basis, you know, and that's why uh, me and Chambo struck up a really good partnership. The, the the back end of that first season, Mick was in charge, and uh, it was all down to him really, and, and his his knowledge and expertise. Definitely. And- you know, I'm going to brush over the your first game under Mick, a 5-0 defeat against Palace, just to remind you. <laughs> um, but then I want to talk about... you know. I don't think I played in that one, I think. No, um, unfortunately, no, I was on... is... no, you came on. I... You came on for the final 20 minutes. But yeah. Did I? Yeah, okay. so, sorry to bring you... Okay. Yeah. We'll brush over yeah. anyway. Brush over anyway. I, I, I came on, it wasn't my responsibility. No. The... Yeah, <laughs> we, we'll prob- we were probably 4-0 down or something, 5-0 down. Um, but then, you know... I recently posted that picture, you and Darren Bent, um, Aston Villa in the FA Cup. Um, unfortunately, we lost the game, but an experience for you now to play at Villa Park, a great experience. And of course, Darren Bent, yeah. and, you know, yeah. Yeah, Premier League. No, stars. brilliant. And, and that day, uh, Mick gave me the armband. Yes. It was the first time I'd, I'd worn the armband for Ipswich Town, which, again, was an absolute privilege and honour to do that. And again, something I'll never forget, I've actually... I've got the shirt and the armband in a frame. Oh, um, gave gave it to my mum and dad for, okay. as a present, and uh, just one of those moments that was immensely proud for myself and my family to show um, how far I'd come. Really, did you um, did you captain the club any more times? I'm sorry, I, I can't remember because of course Chambers must have been. A, did you? Yeah, ever, I yeah. think only a, only a handful, maybe two or three more times, but. Um, and I think I had it a couple of times when Chamber had gone off injured, got it passed on to me. But you know, in every second I had the armband on was an absolute privilege and honour. But like I said before, but I, I always sort of saw myself as a, a leader, um, especially once Mick was in charge and I'd established myself well and truly in the side. As saw myself as a leader of the group, and um, yeah. But every time you you have the armband, it is an absolute honour. Definitely. And you know, I'm going to talk about one game. Um, just before we get into you know the next next season, um, you know your two goals against Middlesbrough that four 0 win. I think Terry Connor was in charge. I think if I can remember, because I think yeah, was, Mick was ill that yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, prolific goal scorer here. Two goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those days where everything just goes right. Yeah, um, yeah brilliant, brilliant day, and I remember it for perhaps a silly reason and showed my age at the time I got a FIFA team of the week card for that performance <laughs> so uh, Love it. no that, that was exciting at the time but no obviously uh, brilliant for me uh, anytime you score a goal it's a magic moment and especially as a defender you know you're not there to score goals but uh, when you do chip in it, it's a great feeling definitely and then you know mix you know full, um, first full season of charge you know you scored six goals that campaign I'm going to uh, pick one goal out, of course, the QPR scissor kick. Unfortunately, a, a consolation goal, but um, I'm sure you've you've been able to watch that back a few times. Again, ignore the scoreline, but what a finish! Yeah, it was one of those. That obviously, I knew it was a a, a good finish, yeah. but I couldn't celebrate. And in my head, I'm thinking that was amazing. Yeah. But I'm running back with three one down. I think we were so. Um, yeah, but I think uh, when did, I just got a flash uh, today, I had a. Um, Obviously, on this day, I think it was announced that I was leaving Ipswich on this day oh, yeah. in 2018, and they put a video compilation of all my goals together. Yeah. So I had a little watch of that this morning, which was quite good. 
Yeah, I did. I did the same actually, just to remember some of your goals you scored, and uh, I'm sure it's nice to have us somewhere on YouTube or something. Uh, even as a defender, you probably don't see many compilations of your goals or just tackles, so it must be nice to at least watch back some goals. No, it is for sure. And like I say, as a defender, it's it's a special moment when you can chip in with a with a goal or two. So. Uh, yeah, that was a nice moment to look back and, and remember some of the goals that I'd scored. Because obviously, some of them, some of them you remember, some of them you don't remember. So it sort of just jogs the memory a little bit, and it's yeah, it's nice to see. Definitely. And then, of course, we go on to the playoff season. Of course, the season we probably didn't think was going to be the playoff season. I don't know if many fans were thinking we were going to have that. Although the previous season, we you know we had a good season. I think we finished ninth or something like that. We did pretty well. Um, and then this season. Uh, opening day against Fulham, 2-1 win on Sky, a great start there and you know you went on to score a good amount of goals just with Christoph Berra, I want to mention Christoph, I've, I've been lucky enough to have him on this podcast and uh, you know what a signing that was in, in 2013, I think he did sign for of course on a free transfer as well so what a signing that was. Yeah and again another another one of those players that we play alongside who's vastly experienced and a, and a very good player in his own right, you know we were lucky to have uh, a strong backline and backbone of that team um, going into that playoff season. Yeah. Of course, for yourself as a defender, you know, always good to have a, a decent goalkeeper. Of course, Dean Gherkin and, and Bartos were in goal, you know, both fighting out for that position. Uh, now you're playing with Dean, um, but that must have been good to have two solid goalkeepers. Yeah, it's always uh, it gives you a confidence boost as a defender when you know if if you do get the line broken, you've got someone you can rely on the sticks to sort of pull you out of it. So, uh, yeah, and obviously the the competition between the two of them was, was fierce. And uh, you felt for either one of them that didn't get selected because they were so good in training. Um, they really were. They pushed each other every step of the way. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really impressive to see. And obviously it's credit to, to the goalkeeping coach, Malcolm Webster at the time as well of how we got those two working together you know it can be a bit of a precarious position trying to keep goalkeepers happy at times and um, but you know they they were the ultimate professionals again and it just epitomised the um, the group at the time you know Mick was, was very good in doing his due diligence on players he brought into the club in terms of them being the right character to fit in with the way we wanted to do things definitely and before we get on to you know two goals from that season that really stand out, um, of course for back to back left backs we had you know we had Aaron Cresswell who's gone on to have a fantastic career play for his country, um, and then also Tyro Mings who's gone on to do some very good stuff as well. Also plays for his country, so um, I'm sure you rate them very highly. They were both fantastic for us and have gone on to have a good careers. Yeah, of course. I mean, you could you could say a lot a lot of players that I played alongside that have gone on to have good careers, you know. But they obviously are two that stand out. Um, you could say the same. I think Adam Webster could be yeah. on his way to to maybe breaking into the England setup at some point as well. Uh, obviously, I played alongside John Walters when yes. in my younger days, yes. and again another one that had a fantastic Premier League career, Gareth McCauley. So, a lot of players that I played alongside that have been brilliant, you know, and. Um, Again, it shows the credit to the club, really, that they've come into the club, the club have improved them, and they've kicked on again. So, obviously, it would have been nice for us to, to kick on as a club with them into their promised land, but wasn't to be. Definitely. And 
before we get on to, of course, the, the playoff goal against Norwich, I want to bring up, of course, the, the Brentford goal. Um, Boxing Day, I remember that day very much. It was a, you know, you always like a nice little trip on Boxing Day and a 4-2 win. You know, Murphy, Anderson scored. Um, you know, you're scoring yourself and a, a great finish. You cut in and uh, on the left foot, boom, in the back of the net. Yeah, right foot was Oh, sorry, then, my bad. Yeah, <laughs> cut in from the left, I think. I think did the uh, Dave McGoldrick the miss kick to shot and it squirmed out towards me. Um, I chopped the defender, sent him to a hot dog. Yeah. And uh, no, again, I think with that day we went top of the league actually. Yeah. Um, again, brilliant, brilliant day. Um, and that's just that that group of players and the, the sort of the affinity we had with the fans that season. You know, all pulling in the right direction. Um, just brilliant it's definitely the, the standout season of my career to date and uh, yeah it's fantastic definitely and of course we're going to move on to the goal against Norwich the, the playoffs itself you know of course it was um, you know Paul Anderson who made a name for himself in the first leg and I'm sure you can sort of say that it's probably the loudest you've heard you know Portland Road as, as a player you know you played in some big games for town and a lot of you know a lot of fans in, in the stadium and other East Anglian derbies and other big games but I'm sure that was probably the loudest you've ever heard it yeah fantastic yeah. brilliant and you know those are the games you want to play and then the rivalry games where so much is on the line and that home leg was brilliant at Portland you know the fans were amazing um, and yeah we, we felt so confident heading into the, the second leg I think even even the first half of that game, you know, I think we were on top. We were the better side up until obviously Christoph being sent off. And you know, yeah, um, yeah I mean, we just had to roll our sleeves up. We tried to fight ourselves back into the game. You know, I was lucky enough to to score that goal, but uh, unfortunately, it culminated in the loss. And you know, it's probably going from the high of playing in playoffs game is probably the lowest I felt yeah. immediately following a football match, knowing that. You're that close to to Wembley and a one-off game to get to the Premier League, you know, and we we really fancied ourselves going into it. So to go from the to the incredible high of scoring that equaliser and being well in the game to losing, and to the complete low that that followed um, was, yeah, that's just a complete mixture of emotions of a day from start to finish. Definitely, you know, you'll be remembered forever for that goal, even though I know like Norwich fans will laugh at us because you know we're, we're celebrating this goal, but. You know, for you to run the full length of the pitch to go to to the away fan and just stand there and go like it was like a Tony Adams sort of moment, weren't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what came over me to be honest. Yeah. You know, I didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't something that I consciously did. You know, I just yeah. obviously I didn't really. I didn't know what I was doing, but <laughs> brilliant. Like looking back on it, I knew I had so many friends and family in the stands as well. Um, obviously, I've, I've come to know. Uh, so many Ipswich Town fans personally and just to, to share that moment with them was obviously what was going through my mind subconsciously and uh, yeah again another one of those unforgettable experiences definitely and then you know the, the next season was your your last season where you played you know pretty much all the games because that injuries unfortunately came about um you know that season when we finished seventh, just missing out in the playoffs, which is disappointing for us. But it's just it's just one of those things. Um, any any moments from that season? You know, of course, did, did you you didn't play the main United game, did you? No, no. Yeah. So the gaffer completely changed the eleven for for that game. Uh, but I travelled, and again, you're watching players that are, are a level above, and 
trying to learn from them. But again, another another great experience. But yeah, I mean, I listen. I enjoyed that that whole period under Mick was a fantastic time in my career that I'll always look back on with great memories you know I developed that throughout that time I really developed a, a close affinity with the fans and felt like I could rely on them they could rely on me you know and no it was brilliant brilliant time yeah. of course you know unfortunately you were suffering injuries at that time you're back and everything you know I'm sure that was a frustrating time for yourself you you can sort of say you were just about to start your peak of your career and you know you've just played the last four seasons week in week out and now getting these injuries yeah, I mean, it had been a, a sort of a long time coming. Yeah. We were just staving off the inevitable for, for a period of time. Uh, and it just culminated in, in a game away against Reading. Uh, I think that was live on Sky, actually. I think they scored a world in the last minute and beat us. Um, and then during that game, oh, there was times where I couldn't feel my left leg. Um, and I had a thing called foot nerves in my back, which just shot to bits. And... After that game, I remember I sat in the changing room and I was—I just said to the physio, "There's something seriously wrong here. Like, um, I need to get this sorted out." And that, obviously, it's a—it's a sad moment knowing, knowing before I even had any scans or anything, I just knew there was something wrong there and went to see the surgeon. Um, and then he sat me down. And he said, "Listen, this is what's happened. Blah blah blah." He said, there's a 10% chance you might never play again. And that's the only bit I can remember yeah. from the conversation. Uh, and I remember, it, I know it's only a small percentage, but even that, as as a professional footballer, it's your career. I remember going back into the, the lift on the way back up to the room in the hospital and I just started crying, you know, thinking, just think the worst for that brief moment of time, you think this could be my career over. Um, but fortunately, the, the surgeon did a, a cracking job. Um, I made a full recovery. Obviously, it wasn't, and I've come back from from the back end of Ipswich, and um, in that time, the following season, Adam Webster signed, and I lost my place in the team. Which, you know, that happens in football. Um, but I wasn't one as much as I love the club. I didn't want to just sit there on the bench and just pick up a wage for doing nothing. I wanted to play football, and then the opportunity came around. Uh, to go over to America under one of my former coaches, which it was one of those that I just couldn't turn down at the time. You know, I needed to get back to playing regular football. Definitely. And before we go on to the move to Colorado, um, you know, at the end of that 2016-17 season, of course, you played in the kind of um, can't really say it. Kind of, uh, I can't even say it. Can't, I can't say the word. <laughs> Confederations Cup. Yeah, that's the one. The listeners yeah. will know that I'm bad at pronouncing things anyway. But um, you, you know, you played for New Zealand again. Um, you know, you played against Portugal. I've just seen you, you know, Ronaldo played in that game. So another big name yeah. and a lot of players. Um, also Mexico and Russia. Um, you know, did you just feel like you wanted to back, play for New Zealand again? You know, once again, it is a massive thing for you as as a player having to travel all the way to New Zealand. You know, and the time difference. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, you know, I, I took a little bit of time out from yeah. from playing for New Zealand, partly in due to having I had ongoing issues with my back for a number of years before the operation yeah. um, and obviously travelling all around the world is, is not going to do that any good so I had a period of time out it wasn't the only reason I took time out but uh, there were certain individuals within the New Zealand football organisation that um, just didn't I didn't fall out of them but they weren't very cooperative in terms of there was one time a specialist stood out um, 
I actually missed. It was the only game I missed for Ipswich in the season. I missed the Blackpool away game because they enforced a rule that meant I had to miss it for the FIFA window. And all I asked them, could I travel 12 hours later so I could play in the game? And they wouldn't give me permission to do so. And it wasn't anything to do with the coaching staff. It was sort of higher up um, in the New Zealand football organisation. And I just sort of fell out with them over that because I thought, you know, playing for Ipswich Town my bread and butter. That's who pay my wages. That's who... I play week in, week out for, and um, that upset me a little bit. But um, no, I mean, brilliant. That that experience in Confederations Cup was fantastic. You know, I hadn't played for a little while. Um, I hadn't played regular club football, really. So to go in and play those three games was fantastic for me. The, it showed me that I could still do it and um, gave me confidence that I could play at, at that level again. And um, it was brilliant. Definitely. Of course, you know, you moved to Colorado. You were so close for a testimonial. Um, of course, you were at the club for more than 10 years, but it counts when you make your first team debut. I think that's correct. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. think I missed it by nine months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's a shame. But no, I mean, I, ha- I had to go and play regular yeah. football. And um, that opportunity that, that came up was, in terms of life experience as well, you know, myself and my wife had been recently married and, it was a chance to go and experience life living in another country, you know, before our little boy came along. And, um, yeah, brilliant, you know, with the, with the time we spent over there, um, the friends and family we had that came over to visit us and the experience we were able to, to give them. Because Denver's a beautiful city, you know, it wasn't somewhere that would be high on my list, to be honest, mm-hmm. before I was before I lived there. But it's a beautiful city, you know, and you're only an hour from from the mountains. Where, whenever we had any visitors, uh, we we take them up to the mountains. They'd ski and snowboard, and uh, brilliant, brilliant place. And the other the other experiences we had there in terms of obviously within within the US, domestic flights are fairly cheap, and uh, we were able to visit numerous cities. And again, just add life experiences that perhaps we wouldn't have done had we still been living in England at the time and you know again from a football perspective it's it got me back playing regularly which is what I needed and um, it was a fresh fresh sort of start for me definitely and of course in goal was uh, Tim Howard so that must have been a, a great experience having you know this very experienced goalkeeper out there and you know the MLS at the time it was it was booming you know you're playing against some you know massive players you know, Ashley Cole was playing back there David Villa Carlos Vela so you're playing against these sort of players so it's another good experience for you yes yeah, Tim Howard's a top man you know I still keep in contact with him now uh, became quite close with him over there so um, again, someone that you could lean on with with the career that he had. You could go to him with, with anything and he'd usually have the answer for you. And uh, No, he, he was brilliant for, for the club and for the other player that the club to try and learn from. Again, the, the professionalism he still brought to it, even at 39, 40 years old, um, was brilliant. You know, he was the hardest worker in the room at all times and certainly set an example for, for players to look up to. Uh, and again, not, like you say, you're coming up, coming up against some really good players over there. Um, Sebastian Jovinko was one that stood out. David Villa, I know he was coming to the end of his career, but what a player he was. You know, he was still doing it. And uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Wayne yes. Rooney, all, all players that Carlos Vela, who smashed the uh, 
goal record for most goals in the season in the MLS. And, you know, you're coming up against really good players. And I think it's almost a little bit underrated, the league, um, from an outsider's perspective. But when when you're playing there and you experience it firsthand, you actually realise that it's, the standard is very good. Um, and it's, it's a complicated one because, as with all American sports, that the salary cap means that there's a wide spectrum of, of talent within squads. So you're getting the, the lower end players that if you if you suddenly get a few injuries or suspensions and you're having to, to throw these usually younger players in who aren't quite ready for it at all, you know, you don't get that over here. You have obviously the league system over here means that players that are playing in leagues are usually at the level that's correct to their ability. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um that was a huge difference, you know. You so say you're playing with a whole spectrum of ability, and um, no, it's an eye-opener in a different way and a different culture of football over there. But again, another another brilliant experience. Did you watch a lot of um, you know ice hockey? And did you watch some American football? Obviously, yeah. We were, I mean, we were fortunate enough. The owner Stan Kroenke uh, yes. actually owned the ice hockey and the basketball team, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, under his sort of group, Stan Cronky group, I don't know what it's actually called. Um, we got free tickets, which oh, was nice. brilliant. And I actually the the best sporting event I've been to as a spectator is the ice hockey playoff games that the Colorado Avalanche were part of. It was just there's only eight, eighteen thousand in this indoor stadium, but when I say it was going off, it's an understatement. Like yeah. the, the noise that was generated from the fans in that playoff game was amazing you know I luckily had two of my friends visiting at the time and I took them to it and they just couldn't believe their eyes what was going on and it, it was fantastic um, got to see the NFL um, again another another experience but uh, I'd, I'd certainly say basketball and ice hockey were the two that, that really stood out for me in terms of a, a spectator sport definitely and of course you know you spent I think two years over in Colorado and then, you know, you came back and was that just a decision, you know, I think because your wife, she, you know, you, you, you're a baby boy, so do you feel like that was just time to come back to, to family and stuff? Yeah, I mean, there was a, it was a mixture of things, personal reasons being one of them. Yeah, we you know, um, we were we were struggling to conceive and, you know, we wanted to be back in, in our comfortable and usual surroundings with family and friends and, you know, as soon as we've come back, it, it suddenly clicked for us and, and we've managed to have a baby boy now. So, um, yeah, that was the, the main reason, really, for coming back. And um, obviously, since we've come back, the, the world's now in a very different place in terms of all things COVID. So, yeah, it's been a strange year, to say the least. But obviously, the best thing that has happened in our lives is the, the birth of our baby boy, which is something we'll be forever grateful for. Definitely. And- you know, when you came back, did you have a few options or did you just sort of come back, sort everything out first and then look at different options? Of course, you came back to town to train and stuff, uh, but I'm sure, you know, you were able to put some words out there say I'm back in the country and I'm looking to play. Yeah, it was, it was a strange one, a difficult one, really, because obviously the January window is notoriously difficult anyway. Um, and, you know... There was a lot of times things were close to happening and that fell through at the last minute for whatever reason. Um, obviously culminated in, in going to Sunderland, but then three weeks into the, the deal, 
just as I was getting myself sort of match fit and ready to go, the season got got cancelled and postponed. So uh, that was sort of a killer for me in terms of my time at Sunderland. You know, I was just sort of finding my feet there and, and getting myself fit. You know, the manager was sort of saying positive things to me that he thought I was looking sharp and they'd just lost two games on the spin so I was feeling like my chance was just around the corner uh, to get in the team there and then obviously listen in the grand scheme of things it's it's nothing at all but it was disappointing at the time but obviously now in hindsight the, the, obviously the health and safety of everyone is the most important thing and you know I'm just happy that now that I've got my family and we're all safe and well Definitely, that's that's the main thing, isn't it? And you know, were you hoping to get a longer term contract at Sunderland? I'm sure you know it's a long way away from you know, say Itchwich. I'm sure you had maybe yeah, you've got a family home in the area because you lived here for so long. So Sunderland, were you just staying in? Were you travelling and staying just in hotels and stuff at the early stages there? Yeah, they put us in sort of an apartment, an apartment yeah. hotel um, for the for the duration of the contract, um, and you know, obviously, I would have liked to have given the best account of myself in terms of getting minutes and showing what I could do on the pitch, but it wasn't to be, and you know, think, things happen for a reason. And um, like I said, we've we always kept our house in Ipswich even when we were in America. So um, to obviously it didn't work out at Sunderland and everything COVID culminating contract offer not being there for me there so um, then it was a case of getting ready for baby boy's arrival and um, obviously that becomes the most important thing and you make decisions based on that I then had sort of opportunities overseas that just didn't feel right in terms of obviously COVID at the time threats of lockdowns and quarantines and things like that just didn't work for for us as a family and and then the opportunity came, you know, uh, I'm good friends with Wayne Brown, who, who works quite closely with Colchester, and he sort of phoned me saying uh, they'd be interested in having me along to train. And um, if I wanted to, you know, they didn't they didn't say any, they didn't put any pressure on me to sign or anything like that initially. Um, and, it, you know, really kind of them to let me come in and, and get myself fit and while still living at home. And after a couple of days, it was that quick, really, that, I saw the way they were working and uh, the way the manager wanted to do things and I sort of said I could I could see myself playing here so sat down had a lot of conversations with uh, the manager uh, the owner and managed to come up with a deal and obviously it was perfect for more than one reason yeah. gets me back playing football the location's perfect in terms of not having to up sticks with a young family and yeah, things just fell into place. Definitely, and of course, you you know, there's a familiar face, um, Dean Gurk, and also Tom, Tom Eastman as well, who came through the academy and played a few times for town. So that must have been a good thing as well, having a familiar face. And I'm sure there's other players you've you know played up against, and I think it's Omar's there as well, who came through the academy at town as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there was a, obviously there was a few familiar faces, and yeah, it's always nice, and that always helps you to settle in more quickly wherever you go when there's familiar faces, not just playing wise, you know. Uh, Darren Smith, the goalkeeping coach, was at Ipswich. Of course, yeah. uh, like, like I touched on earlier, Tony Humes, Richard yeah. Hall were, were my under 18s coaches at Ipswich. So uh, a lot of familiar faces and um, a very well run club, you know. Has certainly got the, the potential to be a club that is a lot better than the league we're in at the moment. So hopefully that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm not here to be a League Two player for long. You know, I want, I'm ambitious and I want to get promoted. I want to help the club. 
achieve its goals and, and that's something we're all striving to do. Definitely. And, you know, I don't want to take any more of your time up, but uh, you know, how, how has your season been personally for yourself? It must be good for you to be playing you know, week in, week out. And you know, it's, it's a weird time at the moment playing behind closed doors and all these restrictions and stuff. As a player, you know, what's it been like? Yeah, obviously you touched on it there. It's really strange not having the fans there. Um, but you know, like, like we've touched on as well, there's there's bigger things at, at stake in, in the world at the moment, and um, we're providing an entertainment service really to sort of help people along in these times. And um, as long as we can do that, then it's brilliant. You know, we, we're getting tested twice a week, so we feel quite safe in the facts that we will know relatively quickly if there's an outbreak of any sort. Um, obviously for me personally with a young family and vulnerable people around me it's, it's something that I was quite conscious about and feeling safe and, and happy to go along and play but uh, you know yeah brilliant to be back playing regularly Definitely. sort of peek behind the curtain sort of thing your course currently in Morecambe because you're going to be playing uh, Morecambe on Saturday this is Friday night as we speak um, I'm sure this will be out in a, maybe a, a few weeks or months time so this will be very, a, a, a relevance but um, what's it been like just travelling and going and staying in different hotels during this weird times yeah a lot different you know obviously you've got to socially, be socially distanced on the bus um and then you get to the hotel, the hotels are almost deserted, you know, we're the only ones here. Uh, but again, it's all for safety reasons and it's all a bit strange, but you know it's all being done for the right reasons and, you know, it's, it's something that we have to do and we're happy to do. And uh, hopefully, obviously the vaccinations are starting to be rolled out and hopefully it's sort of, we're on the, the final leg now of fighting this pandemic and, and hopefully it won't be too long before we can have fans back at the stadiums cheering on their teams definitely and uh, you know sort of final question really I hate sort of asking these sort of things but you know what's what's your future plans in terms you know you're 30 years old now you know when when your career finishes hopefully you're going to be playing for the next five six years or I don't know how long you fancy plan for but you know I know you've had you've had your own soccer schools and stuff like that is coaching something you definitely want to get into yeah I certainly want to get my coaching badges I've only got my FA level two at the moment um but that's certainly something I'll look at adding to. Um, I've got a sports science degree under my belt, so that's another thing that I could go into. Um, but, you know, it's just sort of at that, right, I'm at that age now where I need to sort of start thinking about it, but I also don't want to sort of rush that retirement onto myself. You know, I've, I feel like I've got a lot to offer in a playing capacity so far, but I've certainly got half an eye on planning for the future and what I will do with my time post-playing career and, uh, do I want to stay in football? I mean, yes, it would be nice, but I know there's only so many jobs in football compared to, to players that want to go into those roles. So um, I'm not naive enough to think that I'll just walk into a job or in football. You know, I will work to to get my qualifications up and, and do it that way. But you know, I'm not naive enough to think that I can just walk into something and I will keep my options open in terms of uh, other things that might pop up as well so you know I, I feel comfortable at the moment in my playing career has got a lot of legs left in it and uh, I'll be doing all I can to prolong that as long as possible because having spoken to players that have retired you know they say just just play for as long as you can because you, you will miss it and uh, that's something that I'll always take on board and I just want to play football and continue to make my, my family proud and, and yeah 
of course, and you know, hopefully make some more memories to, you know, of course, for your young boy to, to look back on because, you know, hopefully, you know, he's going to be old enough for you still playing. Um, you know, hopefully in five years' time, if you're still playing, you can watch a few games for you playing. Yeah, that's that would be an absolute dream, and that's something that definitely is is in the forefront of my mind. You know, I would, would love for my little boy to come and watch me play football and, and see what his, his daddy does for a living. So, yeah, that would be ideal. Well, I think that's the the perfect way to to finish, Tommy. Thank you very much. Have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, just thanks for having me on, and you know, uh, I just want to say hello to all the fans that listen to the podcast and wish it Twitch Town all the best for the rest of the season. From true crime to football, Brexit to football. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon. Thank you.